Well, good morning, everyone. Man, I'm excited to be here. So awesome. So today, um, we celebrate this weekend uh, baptisms again. We do it in a uh, rhythmic cycle here at Mosaic as uh, people enter into the faith journey of experiencing, encountering, stepping into the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and recognizing Christ as He is, and we get to celebrate baptisms uh, out of that. And, and when we do baptisms, we very often uh, just take a pause and step out of the series that we're in, in this case, the book of Romans, uh, to take some time to really focus in on the reality of baptism, because baptism is a really, really big deal. It's a really big deal, and it's really awesome, and it is worthy of our pause in series to focus on it so that it is not a side note at the end of a gathering, but it is a focal point, and we do that because it displays the wonder of God in some extraordinary ways that we ought never to forget. So, so how does all this happen? Uh, why is it so important? Why do we take pause? Allow me to explain to you what I mean. So how many of you all watch YouTube once in a while? Come on now. You don't want to admit it, but you do it. Okay, so YouTube is the second largest search engine other than Google uh, because everybody has something on YouTube to explain to you how to do something. You know, regularly now when I have to do something I don't know how, I forget that you can just YouTube it and someone will have a video doing it for you with the 97 mistakes they made that you now don't have to. And I love that. But the truth is that most of us use YouTube more often for entertainment than we do education, right? On occasion, we watch a YouTube video to learn something, but most of the time, we are simply entertained. And so you watch these YouTube videos because they're in the Facebook stream or they hit your Twitter. And, and, so, and then you find yourself hours later going, I know lots of stuff I did not need and wasted lots of time I did need, right? And so uh, we find ourselves there a lot. But, but on occasion, even in the entertainment category, you come across videos that just are so fascinating and they stick with you because they have in them such beauty. One of those kinds of videos that I encounter on YouTube on occasion that stick with me are the videos when they show an artist with those spray paint cans uh, working on a canvas, right? And then they just like, it's usually a two and a half minute video. It's spread up, uh, sped up a little bit. And, and, and you see them, they got a bunch of spray paint cans and like a cup and, and a piece of paper and a, and a thing. And they just start spraying. And they switching colors. And you're like, what is this person doing? They look like a two-year-old. I mean, it's really amazing. Because you know how it usually starts, right? They spray like on the bottom of the canvas, one color, and then bluish color on the top. And then you go, ah, got it, sky and land. Oh, I'm so good. <laughs> I can see what you're doing. And then they take black paint and they spray over the entire thing. And you're like, no, no, that's not how it works. You don't put two colors down and then cover it in black. And then they grab some more paint cans and they spray more colors randomly. A little here and And you're like, what is this guy doing? And then they take black again and they cover it all again. And they layer, and they layer, and they layer colors. And every now and then they grab a piece of paper. And a cup. And you say, I just, don't, I just don't get it. And then come toward the end of the two and a half minute video, the last 30 seconds, it all happens, doesn't it? 
all these blends of colors that make no sense anymore and look like a two-year-old having fun with paint cans, they suddenly start taking things and they, they move some colors around and they dab this and they push that and you see these circles start emerging and multiple, multiple colors and, and they spin it around and they lift it up and it's the most extraordinary vision of the entire universe. And you're like, oh, you don't even understand. And you see these guys do this and you know that the entire time when they started with the blue and brown that you thought was land and sky that isn't land and sky, that the whole time they knew exactly what they were doing. They really did. See, it wasn't random. It didn't turn out to be an accident. They didn't just go, oh, if I put a cup here, it makes a circle. It actually, they experimented a whole bunch and ended up with a sequence of layers that would end up in an end result that would absolutely blow your mind. What if, what if instead of doing it on a little white canvas with a bunch of spray paint cans, what if you could do it across the canvas of time and space with millions and millions of events and stories and realities, and you could weave it all together to come to a perfect end so that it would be so beautiful you wouldn't know what to do with yourself? Because you can take pieces that seem to be one thing but are actually something utterly different, pieces that seem unconnected but are totally connected because you already know exactly how the canvas ends. This is what I love most about God, honestly. Of all the things that I love about discovering God, what I love most is watching as he reveals himself to us through his word, the incredible connections that he has been making all along, that things that seem either random or specific to a particular time end up being giantly important to the entire story, and you're like, how did you know? And he knew the whole time. He is layering and layering and layering, random, and then when he goes, oh, you're like, oh, that's it. That's what I love. And baptism is one of those examples, one of the things that we end up with, a sacrament of baptism in our spiritual journey that turns out to be the end result of layers and layers and layers of story over time and space that mean everything now. You're wondering how that works, don't you? So let's begin. It starts with the canvas. Let's, let's start with the canvas. What is the canvas on which we are going to watch God build this story that ends up with the sacrament of baptism on this day in this place with us? The canvas begins with us. We are created into the Garden of Eden, and a perfect environment uh, with a perfect relationship with God, our creator, to enjoy perfect freedom as we in, engage in relationship with one another, in relationship with all of creation, and in relationship with the creator himself, in perfect harmony, experiencing perfect love and freedom. And this was our life and our purpose to display that freedom to each other, to creation, and back to our creator as he watches the symphony of wonder displayed. The enemy of God walks into that scene and he convinces us through Adam and Eve that pursuing our own divinity, our own story, our own destiny is a better version of the story than trusting God's divinity, God's destiny for us, God's story for us. So we eat of the fruit and, and we eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil to, to know what he knows, to be like him. But it turns out we don't inherit divinity. We inherit exactly what God said, which is sin. And sin produces death. And death is horrible. 
and we are expelled from the garden, from that environment. We are broken in relationship with God, and our relationship toward each other is broken by sin and death. And we are, it seems, left to ourselves to experience the full implications of sin and its production of death. But God does not abandon us. And into our sin in the early parts of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, the book of beginnings, God protects us in the flood. We become in our disunity. Uh, we become so aggressive toward each other. Sin takes such a hold and produces death so quickly that we become self-destructive. And it says every thought and intent of man was evil toward each other, toward everything. So God pulls Noah and his family out and, and, and he, he has the flood happen. We, we think it's an act of cruelty from God, a, a mad God punishing his people. No, it was God rescuing us from our own self-destruction. And he, and he starts with Noah. And before you know it, we unify under Noah. And what do we do in our unity? In our disunity, we kill each other. In our unity, we stand arrogantly before our creator and build a tower and say, watch what we can do. We are better than you. And God, God comes and, he, and he, he creates language barriers so that we break into people groups because whether in our disunity or our unity, we are destructive because sin is in us. Okay, there's our canvas. Humanity, sin, and death. And God's pursuit of our story, what does he begin with? In Genesis chapter 12, God goes and finds a man named Abram. And he calls him out of his city and says, follow me. And Abram begins to follow God because God has prepared him for the journey. And, and Abram follows God and God begins to reveal himself to Abraham. And then... As we get to Genesis chapter 17, God comes to Abraham and he does this extraordinary thing with him. He comes to him and he says, Abraham, your name right now is Abraham, which means essentially exalted father. But I'm going to change your name from Abraham, exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. It's a super cool change, isn't it? So we're going to move you from exalted father to father of the multitudes. And in Genesis chapter 17, as he says to Abraham, I'm going to change your name to father of the multitudes. Why? Because I am going to produce through you a seed that is going to produce a nation that is going to produce a end at some point in the future that will become the blessing of all nations and you will become the father of many nations. That's a promise he makes to him in Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis chapter 17, as he makes this covenant promise, he says to him, now, as part of this, what this means, Abraham, is that you belong to me now, and I belong to you, and we are going to see this produced because I am faithful. And all of your offspring are going to belong to me in this journey. I'm going to separate them out, and I'm going to protect them so that the world might see who I am. And in that covenant, he says to Abraham, what I want you to do, because you're super forgetful, and because it's important you're part of this covenant expressing your part, is I want you to have an outward, external display of this belonging, of belonging to me, of my faithfulness to you. And so he says to Abraham, what I want you to do is I want you and all of your offspring, all of the, the, the male children of your offspring to be circumcised as an outward expression of this belonging that I have just produced for you. The, 
the head of the household, representing the household, will be circumcised and all the male children that have potential to be heads of households will be circumcised. And he even says, not only your children, but anyone that enters into your story, uh, that you purchase, that you bring in, uh, that, that you have as an outsider who becomes part of your family, they too then belong to the covenant and they are circumcised as well. Take, take a listen to this real quick. Just listen to what Genesis chapter 17 says. Uh, if I can get there. 17, listen to this. Genesis 17 verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now we jump down to verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 13, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Okay, so we have this external choosing of God for a family, a, a nation that he will reveal himself to. And then there is an external display of this, a covenant through this, the act of circumcision. Okay, so Abraham is circumcised. He circumcises his sons. And as they grow into a nation, this becomes part of the external display of the covenant. In chapter 17, it says, if you are not circumcised, you understand, here's what you're doing. I don't belong to you. So, Here's the, here's the point of that little end in 17. It's not saying that circumcision makes you belong. It's saying this. If you choose not to be circumcised as a people of God, you are literally saying to God, I don't care about your stupid covenant and I don't want to belong to you. And that doesn't go well. So it, it was not just a little side note. Hey, if you feel like it, get circumcised. It was like, this is what causes you to declare that I belong. It's a big deal, right? So Abraham uh, produces Isaac. Isaac into the story of the, uh, the boys that turn into the 12 tribes and Joseph, remember the story when he goes to Egypt and they become a great nation there. And then we end up in Exodus where uh, the great nation has turned into a million plus people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, 12 tribes, and they are enslaved by the Egyptians. God sends Moses to come and rescue them, right? Now we go into layer two. Layer one the covenant of circumcision to display the belonging to God as his people because he has pulled you out as a nation. The belonging is a physical belonging because of a physical reality and the outward expression is a physical outward expression. And that's the covenant. Now, Moses comes in, God rescues his people from slavery. He takes them across the Red Sea. He moves them into the promised land and he begins to reveal himself to his people. On the way to the promised land, you know what God does? He takes Moses to the mountain of Sinai and he gives him what? The law. Okay, layer two. So we just got blue and green. Uh, that's the covenant of circumcision. And then black over the top. Uh, we're, we've got people now and they're being rescued. Now we're doing some orange and red. The law comes. Da-da. And what is the law? The law is the verbalizing, the declaring, the demonstrating of God's righteous character in actual principle, right? It's like, you want to know how God is, how God lives, who God is, how, what, what God's character is? Here is the righteousness of God found in declared reality. 
And so as the people that belong to God, because we are the people of God, circumcised as an outward display of that, what ought we to expect when we find out who our dad is and how he rolls, right? We then start becoming like him. We fulfill the law because we are the people of the law, right? Right? Yes. So we get the law and the law is awesome and we totally don't do it, right? So we try to fulfill the law, but we can't fulfill the law and it's a total disaster and we continually are unfaithful and break the law. And so two things emerge from this layer of the law, okay? One, you start hearing in the Old Testament language that starts sounding like this, look, if you're circumcised externally, but there's no circumcision of the heart, what good is it, right? We start shifting from, look, it's not about the external display alone. That should be a, an inspiration, a reality that causes you to go, since I belong, I will follow God in a righteous way, but you're not doing it. Now, God knew that the reason we couldn't do it was because the sin nature in us prevented us from that. The law was weakened in that we had a sin nature. That's the book of Romans. We'll get there. But the point is that uh, we start experiencing this reality that the righteous decrees of God, we can't fulfill them. What do we do? do, we, do how does this affect belonging? And he goes, look, circumcision of the heart is what we're looking for as a result of belonging and the law, you're breaking it. So God within the law establishes Layer number three, the sacrificial system, the, the requirements, the righteous requirements that need to be met when the law is not. And so we begin with all the atonements. When you break the law, you need to atone for that through a set of righteous requirements. Born out of this layer that is the law that we need to obey but can't, and we have atonements that we need to effect now in order to be right by God because we belong to God, he layers in now an outward expression of that making right with atonement. And born in the Jewish tradition is a thing called baptism. Baptism didn't start with Jesus, folks. I just have you know, Jesus didn't make baptism up. He didn't show up and go, I, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to roll out a new thing. It's called baptism. We go in the water. It's really cool. And how do we know Jesus didn't make it up? Because what did Jesus do before he started teaching anything? Except in the temple when he was 12, which was fascinating. But we don't know what he taught there, so that's irrelevant, right? Maybe it was about baptism. No, I'm just kidding. It, it was not, okay? So, what, what happened? He was baptized, right? And what was happening in that baptism? That was the baptism of repentance. And here's how baptism tied into the Jewish tradition, right? Whenever you broke the law of God, then you had to make atonement. In other words, you had to go and do certain things to meet the righteous requirements of the law. Once you made atonement, you would then come to the temple and you would step into a mikvah pool, a pool of baptism, and it would be a baptism of repentance with a witness. And the witness would say, my friend here broke the law, but he or she met the righteous requirements of the law through atonement, and they are now right with God and right with you all again. Then they're gonna step in baptism and they would be immersed in the water as Jesus was in the Jordan River because it was a cleansing or rather a display of cleansing. You are now cleansed by the water of baptism because you've met the righteous requirements of the law. You with me so far? So layer one, covenant of circumcision. You belong. Layer two, you have the law, but you can't keep it, so you need atonement. And atonement, when it is satisfied, is externally displayed in an active act of baptism in the mikvah pool. Layer number two, okay? So the people go about their business throughout the Old Testament and then something super crazy happens, okay? 
Jesus shows up. Jesus turns out to be the Messiah, God in the flesh, come to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes and lives a life of pure and wondrous righteousness, meeting all the righteous requirements of the law without exception in a way we could not, cannot, will not ever because he is not infected with the sin nature because he is not born of a man and woman. He is born of a woman supernaturally conceived by the Spirit so that the nature of sin is not transferred into his body so that he can stand in ways we cannot. He is all man, yet all God, all at the same time. Oh, so much there. We're not going to get into it. We don't have time. So Jesus shows up on the planet and he starts walking among us, teaching among us, showing us incredible things. And as he does, the most unexpected thing on planet earth happens. You see, the people of that time thought Jesus was coming to rescue them from their oppressors, who was the Roman government at that time, and from any future oppressors in ever. And so Jesus would overthrow the Roman government with his supernatural power. He would establish his throne in Jerusalem and the people of God, the circumcised covenant people of God would belong to Christ, ruled over by Christ and going through the system of atonement with Christ so that they would have freedom. It turned out Jesus didn't come to set them free from a governmental system. He came to set us free from sin and death. He didn't come for the covenant Jewish people of God. He came for all his people, us, the Gentiles and Jews alike. Hence Romans where we were a few weeks ago, remember? A righteousness of God has been revealed to us. That is by faith, not by ethnicity, not born into something, but discovering something that God reveals by faith, not by law. In Christ Jesus, not in ourselves, right? For who? For all who believe, right? And so this beautiful declaration of the gospel is displayed to us. And Jesus is the one that fulfills it. And how does he fulfill it? Ready? Ready? He rises up on a giant white horse and conquers death in a giant fight with a big sword. No, it's not how it goes. It will happen that way at some point, but not, not yet. He submits himself to us, allowing us to slaughter him, even though he had the power to overcome that. He dies on a cross. He is torn from his father, where God, the triune wonder of God himself, tears himself apart or allows himself to be torn apart by sin in a way we should have been torn from him. But he is torn from himself. And then he conquers sin and death by rising from the dead, overcoming death itself and undoing sin's greatest wonder, death. And he brings life to us. And then Jesus, after rising from the dead, gathers the the disciples and he says to them, I'm going to roll out to go prepare some things. I want you to go into the world and I want you to go do something. And what does Jesus say here? We come into layer number three now. Okay, covenant covenant of circumcision, the law is given, the law has atonement, the atonement is, is expressed in baptism, while the belonging to God is expressed in circumcision, okay? I belong to God in circumcision, I'm atoned in baptism, or at least as external displays of these realities, okay, you with me? And then Jesus goes like this, Matthew chapter 28, listen to this. 
We're not at the full connection yet, so don't get too excited. This is just another layer. <laughs> it's coming though. Okay, Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 16. Listen to this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Uh, now, this doesn't mean that the disciples doubted who Jesus was. That's not what this word actually means. In its, in its Greek, it actually means, but some were uncertain. Uncertain of what? Uncertain of Christ? No. Uncertain of where they go from here. Wouldn't you be? Okay, he died. He came back from the dead. We're at a mountain. He's called us together. We are here to worship you, but we're a little uncertain about what comes next. Some, they, they worshiped God, but they doubted. They were uncertain. They weren't sure where this goes next. Why is that important? Because Jesus tells them next what goes next. Take a look. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, so there's the gospel living out in its truth now. God has demonstrated the great mystery of all time, his redemptive story in Jesus Christ as Messiah that generations before that have waited for. He has now shown that he has not conquered a governmental system, but sin and death. And he is coming to them saying, now go into all of the world to whom? It said it right there. To all nations, not just to the Jewish people, to all nations, sharing with them this redemptive story so that they might become followers, disciples of the one who is the story, Jesus. Okay? Now, you ready? <laughs> Here's the first, the first moment where... We're going to take a little sponge and dab at all the paint, and you're going to see some color emerging. You're not going to know what it's about quite yet, but it's going to come. Watch this. Watch this. So, and Jesus said, I have all authority. Go and make disciples of all nations. Ready? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. What does Jesus choose to give as the outward expression of this reality when people will encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will be discipled. In other words, they will become followers, right? You take it out, you share it with them, they become followers, and when they do, then I want you to baptize them. Baptize them. Now, <laughs> there's some connections here, okay? You know you feel it, but it's coming, okay? Watch this. So the, so the first and most obvious connection, right? What was baptism before Jesus made it this? It was an outward display of the atonement that had been fulfilled in order to cover the disobedience, the sin that had been acted, right? And so it makes sense right off the bat where you're like, okay, the reason he picked baptism was because baptism displays the beauty of I blew it, I can't do it, I need atoning for, and my atonement has been fulfilled so I've met the righteous requirements of the law and I am now right with you and right with God again. So there's the obvious layer. And the disciples would have obviously gone, got it. That makes sense, right? Oh, but there's so much more. Okay, so Paul is writing later on. So now there's been discipling taking place. Paul's been discipled by Christ himself, by the, the other apostles who were discipled by Christ himself. And, and Paul writes in the book of Colossians and listen to what he does. And now, now in the book of Colossians, you are about to watch what happens when you start moving paint all over the place. And we're gonna, we're gonna turn this thing around in a second. So be ready. Okay, be ready. Here we go. Listen to this. Colossians chapter two. We're gonna go to verse. 11. Listen now. In him 
also you were circumcised. This is Christ, in Christ. In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Okay, do you see that? So what are we automatically just seeing as Paul describes? Is that the covenant of circumcision, which was an outward sign of a belonging to Jesus, or at that time belonging to God as a whole, a people of God. He's just said, look, just like physical circumcision was the covenant that said, I belong now. You, whoever you are, who have by faith received Christ, have been circumcised in Christ, which means you what? You belong. You belong. You are the people of God. It is not a physical, uh, uh, external display because of a physical birth into a physical ethnicity. It is a spiritual display because of a spiritual birth into a spiritual reality. I have encountered the gospel, received it by faith, have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Spirit of God. I am a slave to, to Christ, a slave to righteousness. I cannot be undone from my freedom and I belong to him now. This is the circumcision of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're not done yet. Look, take a look. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now watch, watch. Here we go. Having been buried with him in what? In baptism. In baptism. Do you see what he's doing here? He's just taking baptism from a simple display of the mikvah pool, making it about a, 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 a revealing of the righteousness of Christ that atones for our unrighteousness. He has just turned baptism into a display of the circumcision that we have in Christ, that we belong to Christ on the recipients of the covenant promises of God because of Christ, not because we are Jewish by blood, but because we belong to God by spirit, because he has revealed himself to us, and by faith we have encountered Countered him, accepted him, and follow him. Which, by the way, reminder, our faith is a gift from who? Christ alone. For he is the author of your faith and the finisher of your faith. Even your faith you didn't bring to the table. Sorry, no, side note again. So, look guys, this is all about Christ rescuing us. That's what this means. We were rescued. We didn't come. He came for us. Now, like, take a look at this, okay? Okay, by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So watch now, watch. You take the covenant of circumcision, the external outward display of the fact that you belong. You tie that to the atonement that has been revealed because you broke the law and the atonement now doesn't become an active set of sacrifices you did. It becomes the active work of Jesus on your behalf who becomes your atonement. So baptism is now tied to circumcision as a way of externally among the people of God saying, I am a covenant child of God now. I am a recipient of his covenant promises and baptism is a covenant reality. It is remembering and expressing the covenant promise promises of God, but it is also revealing the righteousness of Christ that is our atonement so that we might be free in Christ because of Christ so that we might not be held against, uh, have our sin held against us. So it is the remembering and the expressing of our covenant belonging. It is the revealing of the righteousness of Christ. And are you ready? Here it is. 
It happens to be that as baptism traditionally in the Jewish world was an immersion into the water so that it might be a display of the cleansing that water affects, just like the cleansing that atonement affects, it turns out in Colossians that Paul says, in baptism, you are, listen now, you are crucified or you die with Christ and you are raised forth in Christ's resurrection. The immersion in baptism is not an absolute. It is not a truth that there's no other way. It is not perhaps even a total conviction. It is a preference. There are other ways of baptism that are beautiful. The sprinkling of water, the other things, they're beautiful. They have beautiful pictures, but it just happens to turn out as we see it here that the collision of remembering and expressing the covenant belonging to God, the revealing of the righteousness of God as our atoning righteousness so that we might be righteous because of Jesus, and the beautiful symbolic picture of not only a cleansing through water, but the dying in Christ and the rising in Christ because he is our resurrection collides as a wondrous picture of all that baptism was meant to be. In baptism, we remember and express the covenant relationship we have with God. By faith, I have received Jesus, so now, by faith, I belong to him, and I am a covenant child of God. Baptism. When people were circumcised on the eighth day, you know what they did? They celebrated. What did they celebrate? They celebrated the fact that this child belongs to God because they were born into the Jewish world. When we baptize, what should we celebrate? That this child, this adult, this person who came through faith into Christ, now what? Belongs to Christ. And that's worthy of celebrating. Would that be enough? That would be enough. But there's more. Christ is our righteousness. We are not our own righteousness. Baptism reveals him as the righteous one who is our righteousness, our atoning sacrifice, our lamb, the one who gives himself for us so that we might have life. If that's all we did, did you celebrate baptism in the Jewish world? Somebody has returned. Somebody has been atoned for. Somebody has met the righteous requirements of the law. Yes! That alone is worthy of celebrating. And then anytime we declare boldly the death and resurrection of Jesus as the only way through which we are right with God, right with each other, and right with creation, that is worth celebrating. Do you know what baptism is? It's all of them. It's all of them in the same space, on the same day, in the same deal. How excited should we be when somebody steps into baptism? How amazed should we be that they are declaring again that Jesus rose from the dead after dying for us, that they are revealing Christ's righteousness, that they are remembering and expressing the covenant belonging to God, that we belong to him. And how much should that not remind us of the privilege we have that Christ in his death and resurrection rescued our souls, redeemed our future, restored our purpose, made us covenant children of his became our atonement and died and rose from the dead so that we might have life and freedom instead of death and destruction. Guys, baptism's a big deal. It's a big deal. Let's pray. God, thanks that from the beginning of time, you were weaving together the beautiful covenant of circumcision, the beautiful display of the law, 
the reality that neither in circumcision nor in behaving rightly by the law would we be able to uh, make right our, our life, our relationship with you, giving us atonement as a picture of what would come, then bringing us Jesus, and Jesus, that you would live, die, and rise for us to wrap it all together to show us that all along, from the covenant of circumcision to the beautiful realities of baptism to the wonder of your death and resurrection that you were painting a canvas for us that we would know one day all of it matters that we are circumcised of heart by your grace and mercy that we are made righteous by your grace and mercy that we belong to you by your grace and mercy that we are empowered in your death and resurrection by your grace and mercy that we are free for eternity by your grace and mercy, and that we are restored to our purpose of displaying your redemptive wonder to the world by your grace and by your mercy. We are at your mercy and live in your grace. And in view of that, we give ourselves to you wholeheartedly. God, we love you. As people step into baptism now, would you stir in us a great awe of who you are as you display your story through their stories. And may we remember your covenant promise as they express it through baptism. May we be in awe of the righteousness revealed that you are for us. And may we stand in wonder as we declare that you died and rose and we die with you and rise with you into life and freedom. We love you, Jesus. Amen.